Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It bothers me that a, a woman living alone is vulnerable like this. My mother lives alone, so you, you think about your family. I'm relatively certain this was not a stranger. I'm relatively certain this was not a botched robbery. Someone came into this woman's house, and she was known to them. That was Volusia County Sheriff's Detective Steve White discussing the unsolved murder of Ann Perianos, who was found dead in her DeLand area home 13 years ago this month. She was attacked with a knife, possibly by someone who knew her intimately. More on that cold case is coming up on Sun Crime State. I'm Tony Holt, crime reporter with the Daytona Beach News Journal. Welcome to Sun Crime State, a weekly podcast that takes an in-depth look at Florida's biggest crime stories of the past and present. In this episode, I'll discuss the arrest of a man suspected of chasing people outside a Chick-fil-A restaurant in Palm Coast while naked. Footage of the arrest shows the suspect stark naked in the parking lot of the restaurant and inviting people to look at his bare buttocks. He was charged with disorderly conduct. Later, I'll discuss the October 21, 2005 slaying of Ann Perianos, a retired social worker whose body was found lying in her living room floor. A neighbor who was now serving a prison sentence for attempted murder in an unrelated case remains the lead suspect. My special guest for that segment will be cold case detective Steve White. But first, I'll discuss the 20-year prison sentence of a man who I've profiled twice before on this podcast, a defendant with a propensity for cursing at judges. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Communications, Warhurst. Yeah, I want to report a crime that's about to happen. What do you mean a crime that's about to happen? Yeah, there's about to be a crime that's going to happen if my kids don't come back to me, you stupid Because your stupid judges don't want to bring people to courtrooms. I got a gun pointed at your building. That was the original 911 call that landed Alan McCarty Jr. in jail. He made that call last September to a Volusia County emergency operator from Santa Rosa County, about 420 miles west of Daytona Beach. The 36-year-old McCarty was angry at Volusia Circuit Judge Stasha Warren, 
who presided over custody hearings involving McCarty and his ex-wife. Operators hung up on him, but he kept calling back and kept cussing them out and making threats. Eventually, with the help from a bailiff in Warren's courtroom, as well as voice recognition technology, McCarty was identified as the caller and was arrested on charges of extortion and corruption by threat against a public official. He was convicted of those charges in August. On Wednesday, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. During his trial in August, McCarty was so vulgar and disruptive, he had to be moved to an adjacent room. It was not a soundproof room, so he could hear what was going on, and jurors could hear him yelling throughout the trial. When he was led into the courtroom Wednesday, McCarty, who was shackled and wearing an orange jumpsuit, the standard uniform for a jail inmate, he kept his eyes glued to a book he was reading. It seemed, at first, that he was willing to remain quiet. Then Circuit Judge Matthew Foxman mentioned McCarty's threats to a prosecutor, which set off the defendant. Number one, um, you threatened the uh, unborn child of the prosecutor um, directly in an open What a bunch of guys, you stupid piece of You threatened my life, you and the, uh, you, you Back room. Suck my d- No. I'm not standing. I'm resisting. I'm not resisting. I'm just not standing. Stand up. I'm not standing. I don't have to stand. Two bailiffs dragged McCarty to a room on the other side of the double doors in the back of the courtroom. Foxman last month threatened to duct tape McCarty's mouth because he was yelling so much, but he never did. He also opted not to do so during Wednesday's sentencing hearing. After he received his 20-year sentence, McCarty was brought back into the courtroom, but he refused to be fingerprinted, and he refused to be quiet. He was escorted through a side door and ushered into a waiting room until he could be driven back to the jail. As you can hear in the next clip, while McCarty walked through the courtroom, he continued his tirade, but took a moment to tell his girlfriend in a softer voice that he loved her. Don't touch me, bro. Don't touch me. I love you. I love you. These are a bunch of here. No. No, you're not taking my fingerprints. I'm not going to let you. That's right. Don't touch me. And don't never touch my kids. Give me my law paperwork. Don't ever my kids. The source of McCarty's anger, according to him, was losing custody of his children. But before that series of phone calls he made a year ago, he hadn't even been in contact with his kids, according to trial testimony. McCarty was given a 10-day jail sentence for contempt of court. He will be expected to serve that sentence after he serves his 20 years. But that 10-day sentence means McCarty will not be eligible to be housed at a work release or community release center while in prison. As of Saturday, McCarty was still at the Volusia County Branch Jail, awaiting his transfer to a Florida prison. State Attorney R.J. Larizza said in a statement last week that McCarty's two-decade prison sentence will give him, quote, ample time to reflect on the serious nature of his threats against the judge and our judicial system. 
Coming up, the story of a man accused of running around naked outside a Chick-fil-A restaurant in Flagler County. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Flagler County 911, what's the location of your emergency? Um, I'm at Chick-fil-A on Palm Coast Parkway. What's going on there? Um, there's a man naked, like, pot, like presently on drugs, like he's on drugs, showing his penis to people. That 911 call last Monday morning resulted in the arrest of 30-year-old Corey Hatzel of Palm Coast. According to the Flagler County Sheriff's Office, when deputies responded around 1.15 a.m., they found a naked Hatzel outside the Chick-fil-A restaurant located at the corner of Palm Coast Parkway and Boulder Rock Drive. Based on an arrest report, Hatzel stripped down and chased two unwitting strangers around the parking lot, and then he yelled at responding deputies to look at his buttocks and his genitals. Here is a clip from the body camera from one of those arresting deputies. Look at my ass. I can see you. What? How do you feel? You feel pretty awkward right now. I love you. I love you. Hands, hands behind your back. Your back. Yes, sir. The other hand. You win. You win. The female 911 caller said once Hatzel stopped chasing people, he started talking to her boyfriend. Okay. Is he being aggressive with anybody at this time? Um, he was chasing people, but now he's just standing here and told my boyfriend that he was gay and then pulled on his pants and showed him his penis. Hatzel's bail was set at $1,000. The arrest report stated that the 911 caller told the emergency operator that her boyfriend called her earlier that morning to tell her that some naked guy was chasing him as he was riding his bicycle home from work. He first saw the naked guy near the Winn-Dixie, located less than a half mile southwest of the Chick-fil-A. Deputies said when they found Hatzel, he had blood coming from his nose. The sheriff's office gave no explanation for what may have caused Hatzel's behavior. His arrest record shows a DUI arrest last December and a marijuana arrest in late 2015. In 2010, he was charged with holding an open house party. Coming up, the story of an unsolved murder case involving a 61-year-old divorcee who was killed inside her home. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think there was a struggle. Someone uh, forced her to the ground 
And once they got her to the ground, they uh, caused such tremendous wounds that she would have died very quickly. But it was that struggle getting to the ground, being uh, in a position where someone was able to have control and then take a free hand and use a knife to kill her. That was Volusia County Sheriff's Detective Steve White, who heads the Sheriff's Office's cold case unit. Last year, he took over the investigation into the slaying of Ann Perianos, who was killed during a knife attack in her living room 13 years ago this month. Beginning in July 2005, Ann Perianos was living by herself. None of her four grown children were with her, and it appeared at that time that her fourth divorce would be her last. The only companion she had was her dog, a Jack Russell Beagle Mix. Anne was a 61-year-old retired social worker. She was a Massachusetts native, and she raised her family and spent her entire professional life in Massachusetts. She decided to retire in Florida in November 2003. Her home was located on a small dirt road that intersected with Old Daytona Road, located east of the Deland Municipal Airport and north of US-92. Anne didn't always live in that house by herself. Yes, the family lived in Massachusetts. When she moved down here, her daughter Sharon and Sharon's boyfriend came down with her. That was November of 2003. In February of 2005, Sharon and boyfriend Dave left to go to rehab, and Sharon, the daughter, moved back to Massachusetts. That left her in the house alone until April of 2005. Daughter Melissa moves down. They get into uh, an argument. There's a domestic violence. Melissa's arrested, and she returns to Massachusetts the middle of July of 2005. In spite of their spats, the Perianos family remained close. They kept tabs on one another all the time. Anne's children knew their mother wasn't happy. She didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, she was a bit of a recluse and an isolationist. Um, she knew the people in the neighborhood, and that was it. The kids told us that she was quite unhappy in Florida and was contemplating moving back to Massachusetts because she didn't have any real friends down here, didn't know where to go or what to do. Anne was an energetic woman who was regularly seen walking down the street to Old Daytona to pick up her mail. She looked young for her age. She was slender with long, curly brown hair. There were only about three or four other houses on that short, unpaved road. Her neighbors included Michael Loveless, a 32-year-old who was living with a woman 13 years older than him. Loveless's girlfriend had a grown son, and both he and Loveless were close friends. All three of them lived together in the home next to Anne's house. October 20th, 2005, was a typical day for Anne. She left that morning to go grocery shopping at Walmart, where she bought some beef, produce, and a six-pack of beer. Around 10.30 that morning, she spoke to one of her daughters over the phone. It was the last conversation she'd have with anyone in her family. That night, Michael Loveless showed up at her house. That was not an unusual occurrence. Unbeknownst to his girlfriend, 
Loveless was sleeping with Ann Perianos. Here again is Steve White. Somewhere around 9.30 Thursday night, the neighbor Michael comes over. And this is all on his interview. He's telling us that he went over, that he was sort of like a, a bit of a handyman. He'd mow the grass, work on her car, help her out a little bit. They had a couple beers. He admitted that they had sex. Somewhere after midnight, close to 1 o'clock, his girlfriend calls wanting to know where he's at because she lives next door with Michael. And Michael says he left about 1.15 goes back home. Loveless, who clearly had a preference for older women, came home through the sliding glass door. By the time he made it home that morning, his girlfriend was already in bed. He decided to sleep on the sofa in the living room. Loveless's girlfriend's son, whose name we're withholding, later told detectives that he came home around 7 in the morning. That was on October 21st. He reported seeing Anne in her front yard around that time. Loveless also told detectives that he saw Anne that same morning, around 7.15, with her dog in the front yard. Around 8.13, one of Anne's daughters called her mother's house. She got no answer and left a message. Additional calls were made during the course of the day. Panicked, one of Anne's daughters contacted the Volusia County Sheriff's Office. Around 8.42 that night, a sheriff's deputy showed up at Ann's house for a wellness check and noticed all the doors were locked. He peeked through the window and saw a woman lying in the living room. The deputy forced his way inside and came upon Ann's lifeless body. It was obvious she was the victim of a violent attack. Her dog had stepped in her blood and had left tracks in other areas of the house. Her jewelry was scattered about the living room table. Her jewelry box were ransacked and dumped. Her purse was thrown on the floor. However, it appeared none of her jewelry was missing. So either someone was looking for something exceptionally specific or the jewelry was thrown around to make it look like a robbery. When Loveless disclosed to detectives that he had sex with Anne hours before her murder, it meant they couldn't conclusively determine whether the victim had been raped before being killed. Was she uh, sexually battered? We don't know because Michael admits to having sex with her just hours prior. So uh, we showed signs of activity, but I can't say that it was rape. Anne was killed with a knife. White declined to be more specific about the manner in which she died. But here he is describing the crime scene in more detail. Obviously, someone cleaned the scene. Someone washed up in the sink. Uh, The murder weapon has never been identified or located. And I believe this was a crime of intense emotion, almost passion, anger. And I believe that the jewelry was placed to cover up that fact, to make it look like a robbery. Investigators interviewed Loveless after the killing. White told me they recommended to the state attorney's office to charge him with murder, but he was never prosecuted. 
In July 2006, Loveless was arrested after bashing a woman with a hammer and then choking another woman inside a car that he subsequently stole. Loveless choked a 27-year-old woman after the pair couldn't find the drug dealer that they were hoping to buy from. He was driving the victim's car. When she escaped his grasp and got out of the car, Loveless drove away, which resulted in the carjacking charge. By that time, Loveless had moved to another home. When deputies knocked on the door at West Talton Avenue in Deland, a woman sprinted out of the house. She had blood running down the side of her head. Detectives later learned Loveless had attacked that woman with a hammer. He was charged with attempted first-degree murder. He would eventually be sentenced to 30 years in prison. Loveless is being housed at the Columbia Correctional Institution in Lake City, located in North Florida. He is scheduled to be released in February 2034, at which time he'll be 60 years old. White has been in charge of the Perianos murder investigation since last year. Loveless remains the top person of interest in the case, but the investigation is not solely focused on him. Loveless's former girlfriend, whose name we're also withholding in this podcast, did have an alibi that checked out. Phone records showed that she called Ann Perianos's home shortly before 1 a.m., the morning Ann was killed. She also clocked in at her workplace shortly before 7, later that morning. But White did point out to me that this was a love triangle, and they often end violently. Not only that, but Loveless's ex-girlfriend's son made statements to detectives, which have piqued White's suspicions. For one thing, his witness statements were very similar to those given by Loveless. They were almost too similar. Here again is Steve White. And we continue to talk to him and hope he'll continue to cooperate and fill in some of the other blanks we have. But Michael was always the prime suspect. I'm not so sure about the sightings. Michael and were good friends. They did a lot together. And their stories were about seeing Anna at 7 o'clock in the morning in the front yard were almost identical. So they had an entire day together before Anne's body was discovered. And then it wasn't until, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock that night that they were first questioned. And it just bothers me when two stories are so similar. Anne's entire family was in Massachusetts. The same went for her most recent ex-husband. No one in her family has ever been considered a suspect. As White mentioned previously, the culprit likely was someone who was close to Anne. I'm relatively certain this was not a stranger. I'm relatively certain this was not a botched robbery. Someone came into this woman's house and she was known to them and allowed them access. Because while all the doors, you know, we got there, all the doors are locked. There's no, obviously no forced, no entry was forced into that house. And someone locked the doors when they left. So someone knew her. Because she lived alone, she was not, if her children had not tried to reach her and called us for a well-being check, it could have well been a much longer time until this was discovered. 
DNA evidence from the body is going to be sent to a lab. It's possible the DNA will only be traced back to Loveless, who was already admitted to having sex with the victim hours before she was killed. At the very least, it will show investigators whether anyone other than Loveless came in contact with her. Anne's next-door neighbor, Loveless's former girlfriend, is now 58 years old and lives in Dixie County, located about 60 miles west of Gainesville. Her son, according to White, lives in New Jersey. He is now 40 years old. White told me that his only run-ins with the law involve minor drug and driving offenses. I was unable to get a hold of anyone in Ann Perianis's family, but Steve White told me they were and are still crushed over their mother's murder. Oh, her children were devastated. They were all kind of hoping, you know, they fought like a Every family has arguments and whatnot, and I think they, as they grew up a little bit more, they realized that uh, their arguments were petty and they needed to put those things behind them because her children were absolutely devastated. And you can tell that when you talk to them these days that they're quite upset over the loss of their mother. I think they were looking forward to her moving back to Massachusetts. Anyone with information about the slaying of Ann Perianos is urged to call the Volusia County Sheriff's Office Cold Case Unit at 386 254 1535. That number again is 386 254 1535. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for an all new episode of Sun Crime State. You can find Tony on Twitter at Tony Crime Writer or email him at tony.holt at news-jrnl.com. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. Sun Crime State is recorded by Tony Holt and produced by Chris Bridges for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.